Welcome to Beyond the Sermon, where I take you behind the scenes of sermon preparation and lift the hood on the theology, biblical studies, and exposition of biblical passages I'm preaching through. My name is Christian Herring, and I'm a pastor, preacher, father, husband, and general nerd. Without any further ado, let's dive in. All right, so this week our passage in Mark is Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And this is Jesus calling his first disciples. He calls four, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And the call that Jesus gives to them is is the same. This is how he calls disciples. And I think this is important for us to, to grasp. And that is that Jesus simply says, Follow me. Follow me. Uh, he he makes really no no promises about what it's going to be like following him. No promises as to what uh, he's going to do for them, other than that he's going to make them fish for people or fishers of men, depending on what translation you you prefer. Um, but he doesn't really explain anything. He just says, follow me. And the text tells us that immediately Simon and Andrew left their nets and they followed him. And immediately James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat and followed him. They followed immediately and they followed completely. And uh, if you listened to the sermon from Sunday, and if you didn't and you would like to, you can check it out on our church's Facebook page, at Faith Fellowship BL, and look for the sermon from February the 7th, 2021. Um, But the focus of the message was um, really on, on who in the three things. One, who in the world can says to somebody, follow me, and they do it, I mean, immediately, without question, because that's not what I would do. Um, so Jesus, this is this is the Son of God. This is the incarnate Word, the one who spoke creation into being. Um, and we looked at what the call was, which was simply follow me, and like, what does that mean, getting in step behind Jesus and, and following him, and the fact that the call to follow Christ is ultimately costly. And so in the process of, of talking about all of this, one of the resources, one of the books that has been very helpful, um, <laughs> I don't know if I should call it helpful because it's painful, um, is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I don't know whether or not you have picked up the book or whether you have ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Suffice it to say, if you're not familiar with him, he was a Lutheran pastor in the 1930s and 40s in Germany um, under the regime of Hitler. And Bonhoeffer and some of his associates took a stand against Hitler, and he paid with it paid for it with his life. Um, Actually, it says right here, in April of 1945, he was executed in a concentration camp. 
And when you read Cost of Discipleship, um, which I don't really know, it the way it comes across is that it is almost a series of messages kind of put together. And I bet you if I read the introduction, it would tell me. <laughs> but anyway, um, a large part of it is is Bonhoeffer's kind of exposition of some passages in Mark, particularly the passages where Jesus is calling disciples to himself. Um, so you have the one that we just read, uh, Mark chapter 1. Then there is uh, also, he talks about the rich young ruler. He talks about the calling of um, of Levi or Matthew in chapter 2 of Mark. He talks about Jesus calling Peter out of the boat and so on and so forth. And And so while Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian in his own right, and this is a theological work, it also has a very clear, to me, pastoral tone to it. Like, this is not high-minded, um, you know, theology that lives in an ivory tower somewhere. This is, this is rubber meets the road practical theology. I, I cannot commend the book enough to you. Um, so I want to talk a few minutes about uh, some of the things that Bonhoeffer brings up. Because again, it's not this is not a light read. Uh, if you read The Cost of Discipleship and are not just broken by the end of kind of the first chapter, you certainly will be by the end of chapter two. And, and part of what I, I brought out in the message on Sunday was that Bonhoeffer says when when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And and I think the the scriptural kind of backing for that is is Jesus saying, listen, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And of course, that taking up the cross is is a um is a I want to say metaphor, but sometimes it's not. <laughs> but that that is, you are picking up your own instrument of your own execution, and you must die. the The old you, where you are in charge, where you are, you know, to use the old, probably cliche phrase, where you are sitting on the throne of of your heart and of your life. Like that, you has to die. And, and a new you has to be born again. There is, there's no way around it. That is the only path to discipleship. That's the only road, as, as Bonhoeffer would say. Let me, he, he says, he puts it this way, if I can find my notes, because I can find it there quicker. Um, well, here it is. There's no other road to faith and discipleship, only obedience to the call of Jesus. <clears throat> this cuts at the at the heart or cuts to the heart of what modern 
let's say, 20th, 21st century evangelicalism, what we've been preaching, which is make a decision for Jesus. He, you'll get, you'll, you'll be sealed to go to heaven. You won't have to worry about going to hell anymore. But, you know, just basically don't drink, smoke, or chew or run with those who do. You know, that's, that's what we've been, been fed. That's, I'm sure that I have taught and preached that in, in my career uh, as, as a preacher and a teacher, but that's simply not biblical. There, there is no scenario in which you get to say yes to Jesus and he doesn't change your life. And again, Bonhoeffer is helpful. He says, listen, you, <laughs> there's no other way. Like you have to, you have to get out of the boat and follow him. You don't get to stay in the boat. You get out of the boat. He says, you, you burn the boats and you go on. This is where the, the rich young ruler peeled out. Like he went away sad because he, he couldn't, none of this, like you're going to change my life stuff. Like I, I want to go to heaven on my terms. You can't do that. We go to heaven. We, we have eternal life on God's terms. And his terms are, follow me. And they always have been. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think back all the way to, to when God began forming and, and building a people uh, for his own possession. Okay, a people that he was going to bless the world through and and all of that like when in uh, in Genesis chapter 12 when he calls Abraham or Abram at that time <clears throat> and he and he says leave leave your father and mother leave your your people your relatives and and go to a place that that I'm going to show you in other words follow me to this new place right and it continues like his people had to follow him out of Egypt. And now in the New Testament, as God is is calling these disciples, as Christ is calling these disciples, and God is going to um, is going to begin forming and building a a new uh, or an expanded, that's a better word, an expanded, people of God that's going to go, it's going to reach beyond the bounds of Israel, but now it, it's going to um, explode uh, to the ends of the earth. I would argue, and I'm not going to do it right now, but I would argue that, that that was always the plan. Okay, so this is just the next step, the next stage um, where, you know, Jacob had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. Now we have 12 apostles, 12 disciples. And um, what he's doing is he's saying, follow me. And, and any time like you see Jesus calling people to himself, it's follow me. And, and either we do or we don't. Now, Bonhoeffer. So, again, he makes some serious uh, claims about about obedience and and he goes so far and i agree to say that unless 
a man obeys, he cannot believe. Unless a man obeys, he cannot believe. Like, obedience to Christ is essential. You Only he who, this, this is what he says, the idea of a situation in which faith is possible is only a way of stating the facts of a case in which the following two propositions hold good and are equally true. Only he who believes is obedient, okay, and only he who is obedient believes. So, so what we tend to do, um, especially theologians and people who think theologically, we, we tend to try to put on a timeline faith and obedience. Like faith comes first, then, then you obey. Or do you obey first, and then as a result of your obedience, faith uh, faith comes. I think Bonhoeffer would, would accuse that idea of being rather Romanish. Um, but it, he says you you can't you can't pull the two apart. You you can't pull apart faith and obedience. It's it's a glove that fits on the hand and then is stuck there permanently. You you can't do that. Only the one who is only the one who believes can be obedient, and only the one who is obedient believes. This is truthfully, honestly, this is Bonhoeffer dealing with the uh, the age old um, controversy of of James and then and then Paul. You know, James. You know, faith without works is dead, and <gasps> that must be faith of works or you know no read Bonhoeffer he'll explain it to you actually read James and he'll explain it to you (laughs) Um, so he goes on to say um, from the point of view of justification it is necessary thus to separate them because if you're not careful and Bonhoeffer recognizes this and this is where if you are in the least bit um orthodox, reformed, you will go, wait, 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 that sounds an awful lot like works righteousness. No, he, he, he knows that's coming. From the point of view of justification, it is necessary thus to separate them, but we must never lose sight of their essential unity. So as far as justification goes, you can't say that your works helped justify you or that your, your works helped gain you some faith or, or anything like that, um, because we know that we are justified only by grace through faith, and that is a gift from God. Um, so he says, for faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. You can't have faith but not obedience. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. So if you, um, in order to obey, you have to have faith. But in order to display that obedience, you have to believe that he is who he says he is. Um, and so it's really hard to kind of pick these things apart. Now, he does go on to say um, <clears throat> that, let me see, only the obedient believe. 
Okay, and that sounds again. Uh, he's just warned us that we can't we can't separate the two when it comes to justification. But uh, you start reading, going, uh, "What are you doing there, Dietrich? Are you you you're getting away from me?" If we were to believe, we must obey a concrete command, i.e., follow me. Without this preliminary step of obedience, oh, now we're talking about preliminary steps. Now, now the red flags are starting to fly. Our faith will only be pious humbug and lead us to the grace which is not costly. That's the whole thing. Everything depends on the first step. It has a unique quality of its own. The first step of obedience makes Peter leave his nets and later get out of the ship. It calls upon the young man to leave his riches. Only this new existence created through obedience can make faith possible. Okay, hold on. This first step must be regarded to start with as an external work. Wait a minute. So an external work is is leading to faith, which affects the change from one existence to another. It is a step. This is where he almost lost me. And again, if you are, uh, you know, orthodox and confessionally reformed, this is probably going to rub you the wrong way too. It is a step within everybody's capacity. Right there, I was like, whoa, Bonhoeffer. Hang on just a second. No step of faith is within anybody's capacity. We, we can't do anything to help affect our salvation, because what do dead people do to help? They can't do anything, right? I believe that, that um, faith is outside the ability of the natural man. Like we have free will. Okay. You want to understand, uh, here we go. I'll talk about this for a second. This is great. Um, you talk about free will and this is where people lose Calvinist all the time is over the free will issue. Like we don't have free will. Why are you telling me we don't have free will that, and, and what that goes against is yes. Uh, some of, what we read in the Bible, but it also goes against what we desire. <laughs> and I think that's the bigger problem. We don't have a problem when stuff is shown to us in the Word. Uh, to be true, we have a problem when it goes against what, what our flesh desires, and we desire to be free. <clears throat> and when, when we find out we aren't uh, at least as free as we thought we were, it gets us all out of shape. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. I believe we have free will to do those things which which humans are actually capable of doing. Okay. Like I have free will in eating supper and picking and choosing what I have for supper. Like there's there is I have that ability. Okay. I do not have free will as a human to live underwater because I'll die. Okay. I do not have free will to do a swan dive off of Half Dome in Yosemite National Park because I think I have I have the free will to do this and there'll be no consequence. I can fly. No, you don't have that free will. The, you, that is beyond the capability of the human. Okay? I do not believe that faith in Christ is within the ability of the natural human. 
there. We have free will in in the areas that we have ability to accomplish that free will. We do not have free will to do things that we cannot actually do. Boom. There you go. And so when I read this, when I read what Bonhoeffer says, I'm going easy there now. I don't know what we call you. We call you Rick. Listen, Rick, I don't know about this. If the first step is within our capacity, that sounds a lot like um, works righteousness. But he says, for it lies within the limits uh, of human freedom. And that's what I was talking about. He goes on, because I still was not with him. It is an act within the sphere of the natural law, and in that sphere, man is free. So he's saying right there what I just said. Ha, huh. then now, take a deep breath. Although Peter cannot achieve his own conversion, he can leave his nets. In the Gospels, the very first step a man must take is an act which radically affects his whole existence. The Roman Catholic Church demanded this step as an extraordinary possibility which only monks could achieve, while the rest of the faithful must content themselves with an unconditional submission to the Church and its ordinances. Bad Roman Catholic doctrine. The Lutheran confessions also significantly recognized the first step, having dealt effectively with the danger of Pelagianism, which is no bueno, Pelagianism equals heresy. They find it both possible and necessary to leave room for the first external act, which is the essential preliminary to faith. Here we go. Now, I still was like, dude, it sounds an awful lot like you're talking out both sides of your mouth. He says this, this step there takes the form of an invitation to come to the church where the word of salvation is proclaimed. To take this step, it is not necessary to surrender one's freedom. Come to church. You can do that of your own free will. You can leave your home on a Sunday morning and come to hear the sermon. If you will not, you are of your own free will excluding yourself from the place where faith is a possibility. Thus the Lutheran, so on and so forth. Um, and it shows that they are just as aware of the, as the Gospels of the importance of the first external step. So what he has done is interesting, and it's worth thinking about. And again, like Lutherans and Reformed and Calvinists, they're all those are different, different things. My concern is what the Bible has to say. And we can talk someday, and, and you can ask me where I think those all shake out with the Bible and whatnot. We can talk about that. But what he has said is there is in no way, there is no way for us to affect our own salvation. We can't do that. He said it right there. Okay, Peter cannot achieve his own conversion. But Peter can say, I'll drop my nets. You can say, yes, I will go to church today. That, he, he places that, and here's where the argument lies, and one in which I'm not prepared to, to get into right now. But here's where the argument lies, is, is that step within the realm of human freedom? If it is, uh, then, then we're good to go. <clears throat> then obedience again, goes hand in hand with, with faith. Like they come at the same time. 
it's foolish for us to try to tear them apart. Again, and he makes the point, when you're talking about justification, of course, like faith has to come first. We can't obey. We can't do anything to affect our own salvation. We can't do anything to affect our own justification. Uh, but the and and one might argue that the steps that we take in order to get into that position where where the gospel is preached, where the gospel is presented, where where we are presented with that call of Christ to follow me. One might argue that that those are within the realm of human freedom. That's what Bonhoeffer argues. One could argue that even those steps are ordained in the sovereignty uh, and foreknowledge of God. The question that comes up that has to be answered, and I think this is the question that Bonhoeffer is actually kind of dancing around, is where are the boundaries between the sovereignty of God and and human freedom? You know, how much how much leeway, how much freedom do we get? And and if so if Bonhoeffer is correct, my my further question is could someone who is foreknown, could someone who is predestined for life make a series of decisions that exclude them from that? Could could someone who their path is to they are are ordained for eternal life, but they make the decision not to go to church that Sunday to hear the gospel when they were supposed to surrender to Christ and follow Him. Is it then a possibility to miss, I don't know for lack of a better term, miss your election? And that, I think, is where Bonhoeffer was trying to uh, talk about Pelagianism and, you know, what, what are the limits of human freedom? That's, that's the question. Because the Bible teaches that those he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he justified and those he justified he will glorify it's a sure thing so i don't know i don't know i don't know where where bonhoeffer would shake out on this we'll one day find out i'm certain because i have no doubt that dietrich bonhoeffer uh, was indeed a believer and he met his lord and savior the moment after he was executed on this earth. And uh, so again, sure, we have questions. Sure, we may not agree entirely with everything that someone writes, but if I were to pitch that book, because I had some questions about 
certain passages and maybe some of the things that Bonhoeffer believed and cast aside the incredible treasure that that book is and the incredible resource it is to strengthen and encourage the saints and challenge the saints and edify the saints in our walk with Christ in this life, I would be ashamed. So that's all I got for today. And that's probably more than you bargained for. And I probably rambled way more than you care to hear. But um, again, if you'd like to hear the message, check out at Faith Fellowship BL on Facebook. And if you'd like to read more of Bonhoeffer, check him out, The Cost of Discipleship. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.